You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. As we are continuing on, going through a uh, study together on building a stronger marriage, uh, looking at what does it mean uh, to do things and to do it God's way, uh, tonight we're going to be talking about shame and blame. We've been walking through Genesis chapter 1 through 3, looking at what Scripture says about how we are supposed to live our lives. Um, and i got to give, um, is it okay if I brag on the Lord for a second? Is that all right? Can we just start out there? Um, so, you know, a lot of times you do messages like this or, or the things we did last week and talking about, uh, for our sermons at least all last week, talking about the danger of adultery and then you get into an easy softball topic uh, like pornography this morning and, and this evening. You never know how it's going to hit people differently. Um, and so, in fact, um, I, you know, there's part of me just kind of like holding my breath and hoping that everybody's going to be okay and trying to say things in a bold way but not also a uh, crass way, if that makes sense. And uh, at the 10.30 service today, right before we start, I see a new family walk in, uh, never seen before. They got four young kids in tow, and I'm going, oh, no. Uh, you know, they're, they're walking in. I'm sitting here thinking, then we're talking about this topic, and I, I could tell that I, I'd never seen this, this family before, and I'm always a person who, once again, I say, hey, my kids are here, and I'm going to talk in a way that I have no problem with my kids or my mama hearing, right? Uh, but when you see new folks that you don't know, and they got four young kids, you think, well, they won't come back. That's what you kind of think, right? Uh, and it was just so neat afterwards to talk to him. I said, hey, uh, my name's Travis. Uh, you guys walked into some heavy stuff today. Um, I hope you'll come back. It's not always like this. And they said, are you kidding me? They said, we just moved from California three days ago. And we don't know anybody here, but we praise God that there's a church who's not afraid to go after the issues. Amen. And we are, we are so thankful that within our kids here, what was said, we are so completely happy that they heard it and we're thankful for it and no way are we at all upset. And so there are those moments that you go, okay, Lord, you are working. You're doing a lot of great stuff. Um, I even had an uh, email this week from a church member who said, I've got a coworker whose marriages uh, has been struggling for months. They have been fussing. They've been fighting. They don't go to church. And I've been trying to say everything I'm learning, I'm trying to tell them at work and try to show them this kind of stuff. And so then I started sharing sermons with them. And why don't y'all listen to this? And here's a Bible study and listen to this. And they might even be listening to, to this uh, recording of it later. Who knows? I, I don't know. But they said that they got a message this week that said that they listened to last Sunday's sermon and said that the man went in and they talked for hours. They began to cry, repent, work things out, started laughing. Said the man went and got his suitcase and unpacked it and put his clothes back in the, in the drawers because he was staying home with his wife. And so you, you see those moments that you go, praise God, he's still working. You know what I'm saying? They're like, here's this person who literally was on the way out, but God is working through the power of his word. And so while we look at this, obviously tonight, I know that in this room, we got married, we got single, we got once married, we have widowed, we have widowers, we have all types of different situations. We've got people who would love to get married one day. we got people who would just love to get a date one day, right? we got everybody in between and all kinds of situations that we are at. Uh, but today, this word, I really do believe, is, is something that we all need to hear, we all need to think about, we all need to prepare how we will apply, and also possibly share this with someone else. So as we go through our notes tonight, here's what I want you to, to look at. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, once again, we're going through Genesis 3 here, um, they were inclined to hide in shame and point in blame. When all of a sudden, they ate of the forbidden fruit, right? Uh, they were doing something of which they should not do, and then all of a sudden, something happened that, that changed in their life. And all marriages can fall into the same trap of refusing responsibility for sin. 
And so that's why we're going to look at this narrative and realize that there is an element of shame and blame that takes place. So as a reminder, God created all things. He created Adam and Eve in his image. First, he creates Adam. He looks all around the world and says, there's not a suitable helper for him. So I'm going to make something very unique and very distinct and very special for him. I'm going to make a helper for him. Says he looks over all the earth and looks at all the creations and says, that one's not good, that one's not good, that one's not good. He's going to make something else. And he made himself a woman, right? He made himself Eve. He, uh, Adam took a nap. He wakes up. He's got a pain in his side. He looks up and he sees this creature that he has not seen yet. And he goes, whoa, man. And that's how it all started, right? Okay, that's where, sorry, that, that's a good joke, y'all. That's a really good joke, okay? Um, but this is what took place with him, that all of a sudden that there's this new creation and God says, from a spiritual standpoint, emotional, mental, physical, um, these two beings are going to be better together. They're going to be able to follow God better together. There are things that are supposed to happen. Everything's great. Everything's perfect. The things that God gives them in the garden, the things that God gives them within the confines of marriage are good, holy, pleasing to him until, right? God gave him one rule. What was it? Don't eat from what? At one tree. You can eat from all the other trees all you want to. Eat till you are sick. You are passed out in the corner. Eat all that stuff you want to. Just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of what? Good and evil. Which is basically, you go, was it apples? Was it pears? Was it mangoes? That's not important. What is important was that the, the tree was a representation of this. If you take from it, you are saying you have the right to determine what is good and what is evil rather than God. And folks, that's what happens any time that we sin. We are choosing for us what is good and what is evil. So they take it into their hand and look what takes place in Genesis chapter 3. Um, we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll read these opening verses. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you what? Die. So here is a we, we, recap from last week. Are you sure God said uh, temptation is always Satan causing us to doubt that this is God's word? Are you sure God says that? Are you sure you got to keep that? And then all of a sudden it comes along. And what does Eve do? She exaggerates, right? Satan exaggerates. You can't eat from any tree. She goes, no, no, no. We can eat from any tree, but we can't eat from that one. Can't even touch it. Now, did God say anything about touching it? No. She's exaggerating like we often do. God didn't want me to have any fun, right? So here he is. I can't eat from it. Can't even touch it. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, oh, you will not surely die. Huh, are you kidding me? Uh, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be what? Like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And listen to this statement here. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now you might go, that sounds like a silly question. Do you believe that God knows where we are right now? Think he's got to have a GPS tracker on us? Like, I don't know exactly where Tommy is. No, I think he knows where every single person is. I think he knew, especially back in the day when it was just Adam and Eve, he probably had a good location on him, right? So the question was not, where are you physically? It's where are you spiritually? You've strayed. 
you're walking away from what I've called you to be. Where are you, Adam? And this question takes place is so important for us to unpack. When you look at it, what happens in these few verses is what I call the shame and the blame game. Okay, These two things take place because sin has taken place, shame enters in, and they start to blame other people. Let me unpack how this rolls for us. In our sin, guilt overwhelms us and causes us to hide due to shame. When we sin, guilt can overwhelm us, can it not? And cause us to hide due to shame. Have you ever been in a worship service before and all of a sudden someone says, let's stand and sing, and you think, oh, he don't want to hear from me. And you hang your head in shame, right? Somebody comes up to you. Have you ever been around that person who's just like so holy, so godly, when you're around them, you're like, ugh, they probably know what's going on with me, right, okay? Like there's those people in my life and you just, you feel overwhelmed with shame and what do you want to do? Well, just like what takes place here in verse 7, they sew fig leaves together and they make themselves what? Loincloths. They cover up. Up to this point, clothing was optional in the garden, okay? They felt no need to wear anything. Why? They don't feel dirty. They don't feel shameful. And now as soon as they sin, what takes place? I'm dirty. I'm messed up. I've got a cover-up somehow. Now, I hope you guys can come next week because we're going to finish it, but just spoiler alert, the fig leaves that they sewed together were not sufficient to cover their shame. Weren't. Because all of a sudden when God kicks them out of the garden, he says, you, you got to be out. He says, but I'm going to give you a brand new set of clothes. Says, Remember what those clothes were? Garments of skin. You sewed fig leaves together to cover up your shame, but that's not going to do good. I'm going to cover you with garments of skin. Let me ask you a question. How do you get garments of skin? Something has to. So you mean to tell me that all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the only way that we could cover our shame is if there was some sacrifice that died on behalf for us? I wonder what that's pointing to, folks. It's the point of Jesus Christ saying, you cannot live in your shame anymore, so I will die in your place and I will cover you. You'll be dressed in my righteousness alone and you don't have to walk around guilty or shameful anymore. Jesus sent him out of the garden. He says, those clothes aren't good that you came up with. I'm going to give you some new ones. Uh, but once again, we'll get into that more next week. Y'all come back. Okay, in our sin though, guilt overwhelms us, causes us to hide due to shame. Let me see how this breaks down. Once again, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Kind of funny, right? Adam and Eve played hide and seek with God who knows exactly where they are. And, it, and what does it say? They heard what? They heard the sound of God doing what? Whenever I read that, y'all remember the first Jurassic Park movie? Remember all of a sudden they're sitting there in that cup of water, goes, you know, like this, and they hear the sound, you know, banging or whatever, and they're like, oh, something big's coming. I don't know why I always get this picture. They hear the sound, and they go, wait, who's that? Oh, I know those footsteps. And imagine this. Every time before this, whenever they would hear the sound of those footsteps, they'd go running to God. Now was the first time they heard the same footsteps, and what do they do? They run from them. That's what sin does. Causes us to cover up. Causes us in shame to run away. God doesn't want to see us. Nobody else here wants to see us. And, and so it happens is, first and foremost, there is shame before God that takes place. When we sin, folks, we feel shameful before God. There's no way around that. Um, and after Adam and Eve sinned, it was the first time they retreated from God. Every other time, they hear those footsteps, and they are excited to talk with him. They're excited to meet with him. Um, first time, they retreated from God. 
Every other time they've heard those steps, they have wanted to be in his presence and among him, but now they hear those footsteps. And after sin, they retreat from God. Whenever they would hear God coming before, they eagerly received him. They were excited. They wanted to talk with him. They wanted to dwell with him. They wanted to share what they had been doing that day. Wanted to tell them about the great stuff that they had eaten over there on that side of the garden. Wanted to tell them about the great names they'd come up with all the animals. Wanted to tell them about how they'd been tilling the garden. They were excited to to talk to him. Yet now, in this moment, they feel overwhelmed with shame and they're running. And so, um, some of you, like, there was a precious place in parenting that uh, I can remember when the boys were very, very young, that around a little after 5 o'clock, they would get positioned in the window of their room waiting for Daddy to come up the driveway. You know? They're just sitting there. They got their heads popping up. Like, when's he coming? When's he coming? When's he coming? Right? I can remember what it was like when I hit the door. And there are two pitches that I always whistle when I come in the door. Okay? I'll go ahead and let you know this. You, uh, it goes like this. And if they hear that, they know dad's home. Okay? That's, that's the sign. They know. It's always those two pitches. If they hear that, if you hear two different pitches, it's somebody else we're going to shoot you. But if you hear those two pitches, they know dad's home. And I know what it's like. I, I still get a really warm welcome, but I can remember when Gloria was T90. It was get out the way. Daddy is home, and she is going to scream, and she's going to knock over her brothers, and she's going to give me a hug that would quite possibly put me in the hospital. Was right. It was just dad's home. Dad's home, and we want to run, and we want to experience that. But I also know that there have been some days where their mama has called me at work and said, when you get home, I have told these kids, you're talking to them, okay? They have done this. They have broken that. They have been fussing and fighting. And I said, you wait till your daddy gets home. And guess what? That same truck pulls into the driveway. And guess what? Different response, okay? They're not running to the front door going, daddy. They're running to the back door going, daddy. Right, okay, they are, they are not excited. Now, folks, have I changed? No. They did. Same action, different response based upon what they have done. This is what Adam and Eve are feeling. Up to this point, hear God coming. Oh, dad is coming. Now in sin, oh no, dad is coming. And we don't know what to do. In condemnation, the same sound caused fear, not because God changed, but because they had. So now they're in condemnation. Now they're overwhelmed with their sin. And it's causing fear. And it's once again, not because God has changed. God's been consistent. But they've changed. They've sinned. And now that same sound causes fear in their life. And they feel shameful before him so much to cover up as well as to run and hide in fear. Unconfessed sin causes us to drift away from God. Does it not? Unconfessed sin. It causes us to drift away from God. Um, We can do horrific things. But people who know the grace of God can sing, faces uplifted, and those who still have unconfessed sin put their faces down and are not ready to sing out to declare. Um, I can remember a friend who had been um, caught in a very horrific situation, and I can remember seeing them the next Sunday at worship. And when we began to talk about the grace of Jesus, this person really believed it. And I saw an expression of worship I'd never seen them to really get after it. I mean, it was so pure and authentic and passionate because they finally were able to sing knowing the truth of that, that God's grace is that amazing. And so for those who know it can sing it out. But for those who feel still condemned, we hide. We cover up. We don't want God to see. We run from him. We don't want to be in his presence. And that's not the way that we were intended to live. So shame before God is a serious issue, but also what takes place is a shame before your spouse. 
to cover up before God also meant that imply they were what? They're covering up in front of each other, right? What was, hey, I don't have anything to hide from you anymore is I'm going to put a password on my phone now, okay? That, that's what takes place. We, we have trust issues when sin takes place. The physical covering represented a distrusting and shameful mentality that affects all relationships. Folks, you know this to be true. The longer that we live, the more trust issues we have. Amen? We just struggle. Because how many people have let you down in your life? I've had quite a few. I've lost count along the way. And I go, all right, he's hurt me, she's hurt me, they've hurt me. And over a while, you just go, how about everybody back off, okay? I don't want you to know me. I don't want to know you. Sin has this way of isolating and what I like to call is emotionally stiff-arming people, right? Running back, he's got the ball. and don't want anybody close to him. He's going to put that arm out and pop anybody from getting close. That's what we do emotionally when we even hurt so bad. Don't get close, right? You get close, you get hurt. Just keep everybody off you. Sin does this for us, and it represents a distrusting, shameful mentality, and it affects all relationships in our life. Sin makes us suspicious of each other's trustworthiness. Whenever sin takes place, it causes us to be suspicious. It causes us to lack trust in one another. Um, so let me give you a scenario that is probably a common scenario, at least in, in the time that I spend with people. If someone in a family, uh, as, as we've been talking about in the sermon today, has been found in some type of connection to pornographic material on a phone, someone found out about it, they've been busted, whether it was a spouse, a kid, a parent, it is a parent, and things are really, really awkward, right? Well, guess what happens? The next time that someone is around and someone pulls up their phone, what is everybody in the family wondering? What you looking at, Right? And a simple question like, what are you looking at, is now everybody's talking. Right? You, you feel that someone is literally breathing down your neck and causing distrust, and you go, because you lost it. Y'all know that trust is very easy to lose and hard to gain back. It just is. We can talk all day away. It shouldn't be, but that's just reality. All of us know there, there's only so much capacity we have just to say, okay, that's okay, that's okay, that's okay. Eventually you say, uh-uh. And, and so what happens is, is that we struggle trusting anyone else. And so it makes us suspicious. It makes us uh, feel like we cannot trust other people, which is not good for a relationship, folks. It's just it can't work that way. Sin causes distrust within a marriage. And if forgiveness is not consistently pursued, the union will ultimately suffer. We cover up and we refuse to know and to be known. And what takes place is that the union suffers because distrust encourages and continues to increase. Um, so, as, as mentioned at some point in this sermon series, um, if my wife says to me, what are you looking at on your phone? And I say nothing, and I lock it and put it down. Should that cause her to have a little bit of problem, right? Can I look at your phone? No. Why not? It's my phone. Let me see it. You can look at it. Why is your passcode different? Because it's my phone. Oh, yeah. And then she says, what are you hiding? And I go, you don't trust me? How dare you not trust me? A relationship is built on trust, woman. What's your problem? Because I'm acting like a crazed lunatic. That's the problem, right? If I've got nothing to hide, there's nothing to hide. You know? There should be no reason for me to have any problem for hiding in any kind of capacity. 
We have recently remodeled that hallway down there and have our offices. And you know one of the things that y'all might think this is so weird, but I just want to let everybody know. Pastor Travis has changed the complete direction of where his uh, desk was going to be, the type of shape that the desk was going to be, where it was positioned in the office, all for one purpose. I want you to be able to walk into my office and see what's on the computer screen at any time. Right there. Right through the door, right through the window. There's nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. I'm not going to be like, oh, what do, you, what do you need? Okay, pop that down, right? They're doing nothing. I got nothing to hide, right? It makes it a whole lot easier, folks. You know, now what, what does that cause, right? Someone says, what are you looking at? Nothing. Close it down. There, there's a trust problem there. And we increase it. And, and I get it. And so the more that we mess up, um, the issues can be. And, and so sometimes when people have walked outside of the lines in marriage, especially if there has been flirtatious with someone else outside the marriage, looking at something on their phone which they should not look at, or even engaging in interactions with people who are not your spouse, and then all of a sudden someone says, who are you talking to? Why don't you trust me? Well, because history so far has told me I can't. And, and so what happens is the more that we sin, folks, trust is harder to go by. And a marriage cannot be built on that. So it starts in shame, but then the narrative starts and it moves from shame to blame. Um, shame is a horrible place to get into. You feel guilty, you feel dirty, but when blame enters in, you better just go ahead and you're asking for it now, right? Uh, it's in our guilt, we seek to find a scapegoat to blame for our sin. Y'all know the term scapegoat, right? We want somebody else to blame. Uh, we want to blame our daddy. We want to blame, blame your mama. <laughs> We want to blame the boss. We want to blame the coworker. We want to blame the internet. We want to blame the devil himself. Somebody else has got to take responsibility because it can be anybody else in the world other than who? Me. They're the problem. It's the problem. The situation is the problem. The circumstance is the problem. Um, we have a... Because um, so, we homeschool our kids, we have a little tiny skeleton at home that we have called, um, since he has no skin, we call him Mr. Nobody. Got it? Okay. So that's Mr. Nobody. He's got nobody. And, uh, and also, we also use Mr. Nobody as a fine example of when, who did this? I don't know. Nobody did it, I guess. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, oh, Mr. Nobody must have done that, right? Somebody broke this. I don't know. Nobody, I, I know of. Like, oh, once again, we keep throwing Mr. Nobody under the bus that apparently he's the one who's done it. And, and typically, folks, y'all know this from Adam and Eve, but in our own lives, we want to blame everybody else for what we've done, and we don't want to take responsibility. We do. Um, why'd you yell at me? Well, I had a bad day. Oh, well, here's a free pass, right? Why are you being so rude? I didn't sleep well last night. Oh, well, my bad. Why don't you give me another one, right? Oh, why don't you treat me with respect? Because my dad never treated me with respect. Oh, so you want to continue that legacy? Continue to go on? At some point, you got to say, I'm going to stop blaming other people for what happened, and, and I'm, I'm going to own up and, and do what I need to. This is what they said in Genesis 3, 12, and 13. <laughs> God says, where are you, Adam? Did you eat the fruit, the fruit that I asked you not to eat? And he says, well, the woman, <laughs> I was sitting there doing my job and here comes this woman she's not wearing any clothes and she's like what do you want to eat dear right okay like she's here you want to eat this huh and and god i just thought that it was rude of me to not accept food prepared for by my wife right okay she's kind of the thing right i thought it'd be rude she says you want to eat this and if i go oh, i'm not going on a different diet she might be offended 
So the woman gave it to me. But if I really think about this, did you catch what else he says? The woman whom? <laughs> you gave me, God. I was just taking a nap. I didn't ask for her. I didn't go looking for her. I never said I was lonely. You did that, God. So if I really think about it, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the uh, fruit of the tree and then I ate. God, I'm not responsible. She did it. And you gave her to me. So if anybody's at fault, God, it's ultimately you. Next in line is her. It definitely ain't me, right? You're like, my marriage is just like this. Okay, right? Like, wow, this has happened. So what does the woman do? She just takes full responsibility now, doesn't she? God says, what is this you've done, Eve? He plays along. And she says, ha, ha, if we had a couch, he'd be sleeping on it tonight, right? Okay, like, no. She says, the serpent, he deceived me. He did it. Uh, that would be how we call the devil made me do it. Right? God, it's her fault. Your fault. Satan's fault. Can't be mine. Always somebody else. One of the most damaging ways to think through your marriage is right here. Right there. Always blaming somebody else. Turns into blame. Starts off with blaming your spouse. This is what Adam does, okay? Um, Adam started his defense by blaming Eve for giving him the fruit. Not responsible, God. She did it. I'm not responsible. She is the one who caused this. She is the one who started all this. I am completely free from this guilt. God, my defense is this. She's the one who gave it to me. And ultimately, if I think through it once again, Eve gave me the fruit. You gave me Eve. He blamed her for giving him the temptation when he was supposed to have given the commandment. If you look through the passage of Scripture we kind of looked at and mentioned last week in a, a great question, but the issue comes down to this, where um, there is a temptation that takes place, and God tells Adam the commandment before Eve's ever been on the scene. Adam's created. God shows Adam the whole garden and says, all right, by the way, you can eat from any of these trees, but this one tree, just don't do it. And then he gives them Eve. We never hear or never read about God giving Eve the commandment, which means either he gave her the commandment when it doesn't written in Scripture, or what I would probably lean to, he expected Adam to give that commandment to his wife. You go, what does that mean? It means that every single woman I've ever known wanted to have a godly husband teaching the way and following the Lord. That's what it means. It doesn't mean that Eve couldn't handle the instructions. It just means, hey, you want a really good marriage here? Let a man lead out, following the Lord, and sharing that information with his wife. And guess what? It's going to be a beautiful thing. As we're also going to see next week, the fall down and breakdown of this whole marriage union is because when a walking, talking snake was talking to uh, his wife, Adam is sitting there being passive. And part of the consequences of the fall is him continuing to be passive. And what happens when men and women collide because men don't stand up and take the lead? For the most opinionated, uh, godly, smart, go-getter women in the world, I have never met a woman in the world who wants her husband to be a deadbeat. Never met her. They go, I want to be a leader, but I at least want him to be a leader too. Don't just sit there. Get up and follow the Lord, Jack, right? That's what every single woman I've ever known, I, that she wants him to do that. And deep down, here's this picture of Adam not doing his job. Adam was supposed to give that commandment to Eve and reinforce that truth for her. But 
in our, as we break this down for us, in your attempt to blame shift, don't make your t- spouse the target of justifying your mistakes. It's easy for us to say, well, the woman gave me the food. My husband's the one who never really appreciates what I've done. She never provides what I needed. You know, I asked him to change and he's never gotten around to it. She's all the time nagging. His mama's like this. Her daddy's like that. Always blaming somebody else. Never taking full responsibility. And we want to say, okay, well, yeah, I know that I sinned, but the only reason why I sinned was the situation was so difficult, and so I'm going to blame my spouse. Um, It is so easy for us to do. Make your spouse the target of what I say, justifying your mistakes. Where you go, yes, I know that I made a mistake. Yes, I know that I sinned, but I'm justified in doing so. Why? Because I married a spouse like this that's caused me to do this. Not taking responsibility. Know this, God will not hold your spouse accountable for your mistakes. God's not going to hold your spouse and one day say, hey, my wife, Amanda, he's not going to go to her and say, why did you let Travis do all that, right? Why did you make him do that? No, no, no. He's going to hold her responsible for what she's done. He's going to hold me responsible for what I've done and not give any of us a free pass. So God's not going to hold your spouse accountable for your mistakes. When you think through this about justifying your own mistakes, as this comes down to, um, in our house, and I've shared this with the church before, I won't go through all of them, but we have five fight rules in our marriage, okay? So if we're going to have a disagreement, we're going to have a conflict. There are five fight rules that we live and die by. Um, one of them that is so incredibly important is uh, what we call the no sorry but clause, okay? Let me show you how this lines up. Because I, I was the king of it. I, I can do it really well. Uh, but it's this. Okay, you're saying I hurt your feelings? I'm sorry that I hurt your feelings when I said that. But the reason I said what I said is because you said what you said, right? I'm sorry that I offended you, but you really made me mad. I'm sorry that I didn't do that, but I was upset that you hadn't done that for me. One day, after about a year of marriage, my wife looked at me at one time when I give a really good um, blanket apology like that, which is an apology. She looked at me and she said, why don't you just take back your apology because you basically just justified what you did on what I did. It's not an apology. That was an excuse. And I said, you're right. Folks, if you want to have a healthy marriage, you know where it starts? The ability to say, I am sorry that I did such and such, period. No comma, no but, no justification, no blaming. I'm sorry I did what I did. So the fight rule is this. No sorry buts. So when I apologize, I say, I am sorry that I offended you when I said what I said, period. And on the inside, I'll be straight with you, I am dying to say, Now's your opportunity, lady, okay? I've set you up for the plate. Now you can apologize to me as well, and I'll be ready with open arms. And sometimes she takes the cue, and sometimes she goes, thanks. I'm not responsible for what she does. I'm responsible for what I did. And I was temperamental. I said something sarcastic. I rolled my eyes. I got frustrated. I hurt her feelings. Period. I'm sorry for it. Regardless of what you do, what you did, I got to take ownership. Because I promise you this, if you wait for somebody else to fix their issues before you remedy your own stuff, you're never going to get there. You got to say, all right, I'm sorry for what I did. Period. Done. 
So you can't do, you got to move on from there. So we, we blame our spouse. We also can blame our God. Uh, the woman whom you gave me, God, in addition to blaming Eve, Adam blamed God for giving him Eve in the first place. I didn't ask for her. Um, you, she just showed up, um, surprised me by this. And up to this point, I kind of liked her, God. But right now, um, I don't want anything to do with these consequences. In fact, so he blames God for giving him Eve in the first place. And you might think that sounds really weird or unique, but I'm telling you, it really does happen a lot of times that we can blame God for certain things. I didn't ask for this, God. And, and this marriage is, is, is too difficult for me to honestly go for. If wrong has been done, you need to know this. God is not responsible. Whenever wrong is done, God didn't do it. If wrong has happened, it's because we did. It's because we, we made that decision. We decided that we wanted to do wrong. We decided that we want to take from the tree. We decided that we wanted to put matters in our own hand. We know better than God. If wrong has been done... God is not responsible for what took place. It's like the man who came into counseling in my office one day who had um, been fired from his job because of doing something wrong in the work truck of which he was done, and he was caught on camera. And because he got fired, he went drinking. And because he got drinking, he went home, and he got an altercation with his wife. His wife got frustrated that he lost another job, and he decided to push back. She pushed him. He hit her. She called the police. He's now in jail, and now he's sitting in my office. You know what he said to me? I'm so angry for God for doing this to me. Excuse me? I can't believe I lost my job. I've been in jail. Now I can't even go to my house. I can't believe God would do this for me. And I said, bro, explain to me at what point in this story that God hit your wife. Because I think that was you. At this point, I'm like, we're about to see what kind of man he is. Because Is he going to hit a man or not, right? Because I can tell he's angry, right? It's one thing to hit a woman. It's a different thing to hit a man. And I'm going, I'm going to get punched in counseling today, okay? My wife's going to, I'm going to come home. My wife's going to say, why you got a black eye? It's because I, I angered a guy and he hit me. And I was going to say, hey, I'll I, I take it, right? And I said, tell me at the point, when was God, what, when did God do that in your work truck? When did God get fired? When did God get drunk? When did God hit your wife? Oh, he didn't do any of those things? Man up and own up what you did. Stop blaming him. These are the natural consequences of you sinning. It's not God doing this to you. This is the way the world works. You do something illegal, typically you lose your job. You hit somebody you don't need to hit, somebody calls the police. That's just the way this world works. So in this situation, if wrong's been done, God's not responsible. Don't blame him. Why is God doing this to me? Why are you doing this to you? Why are you making these decisions that's causing you to get in this issue in the first place? Blaming your situation implies that if God had done something different, you wouldn't have sinned. God, I can't believe you let this happen. Why would this go on? If you blame your situation, you're saying, God, if you'd have done things different, this would have never happened this way. Folks, it just doesn't work that way. can't work that way. We've got to own up and take responsibility for what we have done. You cannot say if something would have been different, you wouldn't have sinned. You have to take ownership can't stand before God and say, well, I know that I sinned, but. No, I sinned. I'm responsible. Um, then we get to blaming your enemy. That's what Eve does. The serpent deceived me, and I took the fruit, and I ate. Eve followed Adam's example and blamed Satan for her sin. She's just going down the line. The only person left in the whole story to blame is the, is the snake, okay? She's been blamed. Uh, you know, God's been blamed. 
She probably wants to, you know, beat Adam up, but she just goes, all right, I'll go the next, I'll go down, down the line. The serpent, he's the one who deceived me. She just follows that example, continues to blame other people. And folks, there is a line, if you think through it, there is a line that starts with Adam that goes down into our lives and our marriage where people have constantly been saying, next man up, next man up. Let me point the finger at the next person responsible. Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed Satan. Satan, what it, it goes on, Cain, uh, Cain blames other situations, and you and I blame situations. We've been constantly pointing fingers at everybody but ourselves. And so the devil made me do it has been a popular excuse literally since the beginning of time. First excuse that Eve made, and it can be the same one that we make. The devil made me do it. I'm not responsible. And folks, it's a popular excuse, but it holds no water. And this is why. While the enemy can tempt you, he cannot force you to sin. The devil cannot make you do it. Now, he surely can entice you, right? Without a doubt. He is good at what he does. He has the ability to know how to get you in a weak spot. He knows where you are prone to sin, and he knows how to lure you in that situation. He cannot make you sin, though. Um, Satan can cause you to see things on your computer. You're the only one who opens that computer up and clicks on it. Satan can't make you do it. Satan can lure you into the bar, can't make you drink. Satan can cause people to anger you, can't make you react, though. That's on us. That's on every single one of us. We have to take ownership there. Satan may provide the temptation, but we are the ones who commit the transgression. We're the only ones who can. We cannot blame it on anybody else. While he may bring the temptation, and boy, does he know how to bring it. And also... I think he knows how to bring it in certain situations. My line has always been from that popular hymn, uh, we're all prone to wander. Lord, we feel it, right? Prone to lead the God I love. I think we're all prone to wander. I just think we're all prone to wander in different ways. And Satan knows that. And while he provides the temptation, we're the ones who commit the transgression. We're the only ones who can. So the solution, let me give you these really quick and then we'll be done. Number one, accept the fact that you are not perfect and not invincible to temptation's influence. Some of you go, no problem there, Pastor. I know I'm not perfect, right? But some of us have got to own up. You know what? It's okay for you to say that you sinned, and it implies this. I'm not perfect, and I'm not all together. That's a whole lot better than pointing the finger at everybody else. Say, I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I, 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 look, I, I, I messed up. It is freeing to be able to say, I goof there. I'm not going to blame anybody else. I'm sorry. Period. Accept that fact. Number two, accept the fact that your spouse struggles with sin just like you, even if it's not the same way. Um, if you're not aware of this, when you get married, you did not marry a perfect person. And spoiler alert, neither did they. Okay? <laughs> you know, I don't, I'm not married to a perfect person. No, they, they can testify. They can ditto that, okay, if they want to, right? None of us have married anybody perfect because Jesus is still single. Okay, here you go. Um, <laughs> Confession is vital for ridding yourself of shame, okay? Confession is vital for ridding yourself of shame. It's not acting like you haven't sinned. It's admitting that you have sinned, and now we can start getting to work with what you need to do. But when you continue to say you're not responsible, you're never going to find healing there. Never going to. At some point, you've got to say, to rid myself of shame, I've got to confess this. I've got to confess this before the Lord, possibly confess it before my spouse. 
Refuse to engage in conditional apologies which justify your sin. Well, I'm sorry because you did that. I'm sorry, but I, if, well, I wouldn't have done this, but I had a bad day. I'm not feeling so good. My dad wasn't here. Your mama did that. I'm not going to give any more conditional apologies. I messed up, period. Ain't nobody responsible right now. Single file line through heaven, folks. Okay? You can't go in and say, listen now, you, you got to know. He did this and she did that. No, no, no. At some point, it, it's, okay, I'm going to refuse to engage in conditional apologies which justify your sin. Take responsibility for your sin. Yes, I know we got baggage. Yes, I know things entice you. I know that we all got stuff that make things more difficult. But at the end of the day, folks, when I have three children and one says, why did you hit so-and-so? Well, he hit me first. Reality is this. I got to address anybody who swung at anybody, right? I don't care what he did. I don't care what she did. We've got to get down to what you take in responsibility for your own sin. Seek to make it right with your God and your spouse, whatever it takes. Set of engage in this shame and blame game. Uh, living in shame, not wanting to face God or face others. Seek to make it right with your God. Seek to make it right with your spouse. Put down the shame. Stop blaming everybody else. Own up. And I promise you this, God can bring that union closer together when we just get honest before him. Let me pray for us. Father, we do ask tonight that as we think through this passage of scripture and we see that this first marriage is probably not too different than every marriage afterwards, that when sin takes place in a marriage, and boy does it take place, we tend to go to shame or we tend to go to blame. We are fight or flight. We, we move in different situations. But God, the reality is this, is that we need to come before you and say, yep, I don't have it all together. I did not follow God's commands. I have not treated my spouse well. I've thrown them under the bus. I've blamed everybody else. But right now, I just want to take responsibility for what I've done. First step in healing. Instead of being ridden with shame, instead of shifting the focus through blame, that we can just come to you and say, God, we know that what we've done and we need to make it right. Lord, we thank you for your word that shows such an example of this and also helps point us to the truth of how we can seek a resolution to be able to find the hope and the healing that we need. And I pray that for every single person here in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.